Cool. Well, hey, everyone. Um, I want to, before we start the message and all that, I just want to give a very special shout out to the worship team, our AV folks. Thank you guys for being here. So it's actually really late at night here. Um, we really appreciate your labor of love uh, being here and doing this for our community. So thank you. Um, hi, everyone. My name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here at Access. And um, yeah, let's take a time, take a moment to uh, say a word of prayer as we begin our message. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for your amazing love that gathers us together. And we pray that your spirit would speak to us, God, and we have ears and hearts that want to receive from you, Lord. So have your way in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Oh, just a second. I forgot the clicker. <laughs> That's all right. So I uh, absolutely remember that day very vividly. Uh, the sun was glaring. Uh, there was this very dry heat that was characteristic of Austin. And there was this large open green field that separated the parking lot where we parked and uh, the campus um, that I was about to step foot on. And I remember feeling uh, like all these jitters, uh, the excitement and nervousness that comes with being uh, like a student going to like the first day of college. Only this was 10 years after I had already graduated college. Uh, so the backstory is this. Uh, before uh, we came to Access, my wife and I, Grace and I, were uh, the area directors at uh, the University at UT Austin, or in Austin. And most of my days uh, back then were spent supervising the uh, incredible campus staff who led the chapters, the fellowships at UT Austin. Uh, and it was just a real honor to work with such incredible and godly people. Uh, but there was a small part of my role that was actually uh, the real, like I guess the main highlight that stands out to me when I think about my time with InterVarsity. Uh, back in those days, uh, InterVarsity had a really large emphasis, it's really big emphasis on starting something new. That is, uh, there was this vision to Go plant new chapters at new campuses where uh, the presence of Christ through Christian organizations wasn't there. And so uh, they invited and they challenged all of us to be a part of this vision. And so one day a week, I would uh, go to uh, the campus of Austin Community College, and I, I was trying to start something new there. Now, when most people think about college students in Austin, uh, you know, everyone thinks about Burger or Florence, right? Longhorns, all that. Um, but there are literally tens of thousands of students that are part of the community college system in Austin. Uh, and in many ways, many respects, you might say that these are sort of like the forgotten places. Forgotten in the sense that a lot of the, you know, larger and well-known uh, campus organizations aren't necessarily investing resources in these places. Um, and you know, to be honest, it's hard work because a lot of these campuses are commuter uh, schools, and so forming community is, is, is just a real challenge. And yet, um, myself and other members of our team, we felt a burden, we felt a calling to try to start something um, in these schools. And so on that day, uh, 
as my friend and I walked across that green field to the main student building. We prayed. We prayed to a God who loved that campus, who loved the students and the faculty and staff there. We prayed that God would open doors so that we might meet uh, people who were open to the gospel. And we prayed believing that God had sent us there. Just as throughout the Bible and throughout history, God has sent people everywhere in every corner of the world to demonstrate and declare the love of God. We're in a series um, about calling. Um, last week, we looked at the calling of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, and then this week, this Sunday, we're looking at the calling of the apostles. Now, for some of us, this isn't true for all of us, but for some of us, uh, prophets and apostles are sort of like the stuff of biblical lore, right? Like we read about them in the Bible, um, but they're not really something we're familiar with in our everyday religious life. So, for example, at Access, we have pastors on staff. But we don't have, you know, we don't employ apostles or prophets. Uh, InterVarsity actually had national evangelists on staff, but no, no formal apostles or prophets. Now, it's also the case that there are Christian traditions uh, that do have apostles and prophets. And I'm not going to go into the history and the reasons why some traditions do and some don't. Um, but I do want to make the case this morning that the calling of apostles is a calling that still very much relates to us today. And I'm going to explain how. So let's start by looking at Ephesians chapter 4. It says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I like to contend that this, these verses, that they still apply to the life of the church today. I believe that God still calls people into these five roles so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, my assumption as I say that is that most of us watching today, you wouldn't bat an eyelid at the suggestion that God has called certain people to be pastors and teachers, right? After all, we have a shared understanding, which is why I'm standing here right now giving this message, right? That's, that's just commonplace for us. It's also my assumption that for most of us watching, uh, when it comes to apostles, prophets, and evangelists, we're kind of like, what? Like, hold up, what's, what's that about? So let me explain. Most of us, when we hear the word apostle, you know, what comes to mind? I think we think of the apostle Paul, or the apostles, you know, as in the 12. And that certainly is true. However, that fits a more narrow definition of apostle, right? Which is eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection who were commissioned with great authority to spread the gospel. And so those apostles, those first apostles who were commissioned by Jesus, they played a pivotal, pivotal role in the foundation and formation of the church. Uh, but by this definition, once they died, kind of apostleship went with them. 
So in that sense, then, uh, apostles are a thing of church history. Um, but that's not the only definition of apostle. So more broadly speaking, the word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, which is a combination of two Greek words, apol and stelos. Right? Apol means away from, and stelos means to send. And so, literally, apostolos or apostle is uh, one who is sent, or in more common parlance, a messenger, right? A representative, an emissary. So, 1 Corinthians twelve, uh, like Ephesians four, lists being an apostle as uh, one of several giftings given by God. Apostles were men and women, and yes, there were women apostles like Junia. You can check out uh, Romans 16, 7, who were empowered and called by God to blaze new trails to bring the good news of Christ's kingdom to new people and new places. These women and men had apostolic gifts. Just like some people had like mercy gifts, and hospitality gifts, uh, pastoral gifts, there are some who have apostolic gifts. Uh, you might think of those with apostolic gifts as your spiritual entrepreneurs. Uh, these are folks that they, they thrive on starting something new, on creating a fresh expression of faith. They dream of what the kingdom of God can be in new places among new people uh, that don't already have access to the gospel. And they will work tirelessly, tirelessly to see it formed. Those with apostolic gifts push the boundaries of what is or what is what could be. And there's definitely a willingness to embrace failing and risk. That just comes with the territory. Apostolic gifts often manifest themselves in strong leadership and, and uh, courageous witness. This apostolic spirit is captured in this passionate declaration that the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, 20. He says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. In characteristic fashion, Paul expresses the apostolic impulse to go to places where people haven't yet heard of Jesus. I like this definition. Apostolic leaders demonstrate a burden to reach new places, start new ministries, and propel the church across the boundaries to see churches planted and movements catalyzed. Now, I've met people with apostolic gifts. Their influence and their leadership are very contagious, it's very inspiring, and simultaneously exhausting because they're always chasing after the next new thing. Um, I believe that some of you watching right now, that you have apostolic gifts. You have an apostolic calling. And perhaps even as I say these words, you feel something welling up within you because you know this to be true about yourself. And maybe you lack the words or the language to identify what that was, but you've, you've felt a vision to see a group of people know freedom and liberation in Jesus. You've envisioned starting a new initiative, a new program, a new structure. Like you can see it, a new community in order to see 
this vision come to life, and you feel a burden that won't go away. It nags at you. Some of you feel this. If you're part of Access, I want to acknowledge you. We want to acknowledge you. I want to let you know that we see you and we affirm your gifts, and we need to do a better job of empowering you. Is there something that God is calling you to do? To say yes to, you know, a new venture, a new initiative, a new small group, maybe a new vocation. Those are scary questions. But I would suspect that to ignore those questions and to deny them feels even scarier for you. Some of you resonate with an apostolic call, but a lot of you don't. <laughs> Some of you hear these qualities and you think, oh, that's actually the opposite of me. <laughs> and that's totally okay. That's the beauty of the body of Christ and all its diversity. right? We don't all have to be good at the same thing. We don't all have to love the same things. We don't all have to be energized by the same things. So the question becomes, how about the rest of us? And so while the scriptures, at least in my opinion, make it clear that not all of us are given, oh yeah, this part is clear, it makes it clear that not all of us are given apostolic gifts. It also makes it really clear right, that we are all part of an apostolic movement. This is why critically Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Friends, we are a sent people. We are a sent people. Many of you have heard the Great Commission if you grew up in the church. Matthew 28 says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, come on, every time I hear this, it, it's an awesome commission. It's an awesome challenge. It deserves to be called great. And further, if you've ever listened to sermons on it, you know, you probably know this already, that there's really only one imperative verb in these verses. That there's only actually one command. And it isn't go, but make. You probably know that, right? You know that the literal translation of these verses is uh, as you are going. As you are going. Because that word translated go is a participle. It's going, therefore, make disciples. And so the thrust of the Great Commission isn't go somewhere far, far away. That's not the point. The thrust is more wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, make disciples. Bear witness to the kingdom of God. Embody the grace and peace and righteousness of Christ's love in words and deeds. If you didn't know this, now you do, right? And so we may not all be apostolic. In fact, most of us aren't. But we belong to an apostolic family. Friends, we belong to a faith village with an apostolic heritage and apostolic DNA. And when you're part of a family that loves to eat, 
You eat, even if you yourself don't know how to cook, right? And so while the master chef is in the kitchen doing his or her thing, creating like culinary masterpieces, you pitch in, you help, you set the table, you get the drinks, uh, you know, you, what else do you do? You do the dishes afterwards, right? Everyone has a part to play. When you're part of a family that goes on vacation, you don't have to be the one that's organizing and driving it. Usually there's one person that's kind of doing that, the mastermind behind the vacation. In my family, it's Grace. Thank you, Grace. Um, but, you know, everyone else participates. You go on the rides, you know, you laugh, you connect, you bring your good attitude. Uh, that's part of what it means to be uh, together on, as a family. Thirteen years ago, this pastor from California, uh, who had uh, who had settled here in Houston, Texas, had a vision to start a fresh expression of faith, to reach people who were disconnected and maybe even a little bit disillusioned from the traditional church. And together with a group of about forty other people, they began to meet in Victor and Grace's clubhouse in their neighborhood. And in 2008, Access was born because Pastor Ted and this group of people caught the apostolic impulse. And that same apostolic impulse led WHCC, West Houston Chinese Church, from which that 40 came, to also plant churches in Katy and the Woodlands. And it's that same apostolic impulse which led Houston Chinese Church to plant West Houston Chinese Church and Fort Bend Community Church and Clear Lake Chinese Church in the 80s and 90s. Uh, my parents, you know, became Christians in America. They're immigrants from Taiwan because there were some brave immigrants from Taiwan before them whose lives were changed by the gospel and they had the audacity, they had the courage, and they were willing to say yes to God's call. And so they started the first Taiwanese church in Cleveland. Now, we didn't call Uncle Scott or Uncle Kevin apostles, okay? We didn't call them that. They were just Uncle Scott and Uncle Kevin to us. But they and others said yes to God's calling to start something new. And that made all the difference. Friends, we have inherited an apostolic heritage. We have an apostolic DNA. It's who we are. We are a sent people. And I fear that we have forgotten that part of our identity. Maybe it's because Houston is full of churches on every corner, and so we forget that there are literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, who don't really know who Jesus is. Or maybe it's because life's just over, busy, full, and crazy, and we're just exhausted. Okay, I get that. Maybe it's because this part of our identity feels risky, Scary and uncomfortable. It is. But I hope and I pray that God's Spirit might convict us and remind us and burn it into our souls that we are sent. We are sent 
to embody God's good kingdom. We are sent to embody his peace, his righteousness, his truth, his justice, his grace to this world. And unfortunately, I believe we often do the exact opposite. Not all the time. This is just brushstrokes. But to me, the quintessential example of this, and you know this well, is the driver with the nativity scene bumper sticker on their car. Or maybe like the Jesus Saves sticker. Who drives like a maniac that's constantly in a, like a constant state of road rage. And this irks me to no end because everywhere they go, as they are going, in fulfillment of Matthew 28, but in a very twisted kind of way, they are communicating a message to hundreds of other drivers that they are cutting off or tailgating, a message that desecrates, I mean, it desecrates the good news of Jesus. How else do we do that? And so if you're that kind of driver, <laughs> I just want to say this from a place of love and challenge. You need to stop driving like a maniac, or at the very least, remove the bumper sticker, okay? But we need to hear God's calling to re-embrace our identity as sent ones. And it's less about what we specifically do or not do, and more about who we are, who we are. If we can get that part straight, the who we are part straight, uh, and the doing, the actions, the words, the posture, the attitude, the driving habits will naturally reflect more of who Jesus is. And so friends, can we learn to say to ourselves each day, maybe throughout the day, as I go to work, I am sent. I am being sent. As I go to the grocery store, I interact with other customers and the cashier, I am sent. As I go to the gym and I work out, I am sent there by a holy and loving God. As I meet up with friends again, which you know, God only knows we have longed for that, it's great to be able to do that again. But as we do that, let's remember, I am being sent. And as I walk upstairs to put my kids down to bed, I am sent. I am sent. I am representing Christ to my children. When I hang out on Discord or on social media, I am sent into those virtual spaces. When I'm meeting with a client, a patient, or a customer, I am sent. I am sent, and my life is a message that's hopefully pointing people closer to Jesus. We have a couple of graduating seniors in our community. Congratulations, y'all. You made it during the craziest year of, you know, I don't know, ever. Uh, but know this, as you go to college in the fall, know that God is sending, he is sending you on a new adventure. Represent him well. Represent him well. Kids, as you go to Mid-South Camp or other camps this summer, would you remember that you are sent? Represent him with your life. In 10th grade, I began to catch a taste of what this meant. I began to wake up each day as after I committed my life to Christ and just I just had a perspective shift. Rather than school being this like chore and just 
stressed out and all this stuff, I began to see it as an opportunity to go to my school and to, to be sent there and to, to share Jesus, about this, this Jesus and this abundant life I had found. And so I would wake up and I'm just excited about what the day might bring, about the conversations I could have, about the opportunities to share the love of Jesus with people. It changed my high school, my time in high school. I wish I could say that uh, my friend and I, we started this amazing gospel movement on the campus of the ACC. Uh, we did not. <laughs> uh, instead, we, you know, we started a small Bible study. Uh, there was pizza from time to time, and it brought some encouragement to a small group of students. Um, I still keep in touch with some of them on Facebook, uh, and I know there's an ongoing effort uh, at Austin to continue to plant things in, in the community college and other universities around UT Austin. But it's hard work. And not everything will be successful. But I kind of think that's not really the point. The point is that you and I are called to be faithful to God's calling. And God calls us as a sent people. He is sending you and me to all the different places that we go. And we are called to bear faithful witness to his good and gracious kingdom. I can't think of a better way for us to be reminded of our identity in Christ than by taking communion together. Um, once a month, uh, as a church, uh, we observe the Lord's table. The Lord's table reminds us that God sent his very best to the world to offer healing, hope, and redemption through his sacrificial death and the power of his resurrection. And if you're listening this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, maybe, just maybe, today God is calling you to say yes. And if that's you, just tell God, God, I want to follow you. I trust you. Uh, I'll go. I'll, I'll be sent where you send. The Lord's table reminds us that we come together to eat and to receive nourishment in order that we might go into the world as his sent people. I love this quote from uh, Tish Harrison Warren from Liturgy of the Ordinary. She writes, the Eucharist is a profoundly communal meal that reorients us from people who are merely individualistic consumers into people who are together capable of imaging Christ in the world. Amen. So join with me in reading from 1 Corinthians 11 as we prepare to take communion today. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, 
Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So at this time, I'd like to just give us a brief moment to quietly reflect, to prepare your heart, your spirit, to take the communion elements. What is God's spirit saying to you Let's join and take communion together. This is the bread broken for us. Let's take this bread. Would you join me in saying our second prayer? Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit Guide us towards joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really hope to see you in person next Sunday. See you there.